Hello and welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, episode 68, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. I am your host, as always, Hugh Lloyd, and welcome back to the show. Now, before I introduce my very, very special guest on this episode, let's check out the trailer for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ladies and gentlemen, and I am joined by a very, very, very special co-host on this episode. Um, and already, you know, we've been chatting before we started, and I've said, you know, this man is responsible for me for me inflicting myself upon you, good listeners, uh, <laughs> along with the fantastic cr- uh, crowd over at HMP. Ladies and gentlemen, can, let me introduce a fantastic. I, I'm so excited to have him on. The one, the only, Mr. Dave Becker. Dave. How the devil are you? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you very much. It's a great introduction. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Oh, um, thank you. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it, especially with uh, this movie. Yeah. I can talk about this movie. I can talk about it all day. I love it. Honestly, I'm. Uh, I this is one of the. You know, it, it's. I suppose it's one of the big. It's it's one of the sort of the holy trinity. I suppose of uh, of uh, of horror. It's the, it's the staple, isn't it? The sort of uh, yeah. uh, the, the pillar that that does yes. prop it up. And um, of course, we are talking the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from nineteen seventy four. I can't believe that seventy four. Yeah, that that is. Um, I always well, thought thought it was later, but it's not. It's seventy four, which is. Um, which is, you know, sort of blows my mind a little bit when you go back. Yep. Well, like, it's just 46 years now. 46 years since this movie's been made. Wow. That's, That's amazing. It's, it, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it hasn't lost any, any of its power. It hasn't. It, it really hasn't. And, and, you know, each time I watch it, 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 I just have a little bit more, a little different, I wouldn't say a different reaction to it, but 
maybe a little bit because I watched it last night and I found myself actually laughing a little bit more at some of the parts. Now, not <laughs> obviously the horrific parts, but some of the stuff at the beginning with Franklin. Yeah. And then once it gets into the relationship between, you know, the cook, the hitchhiker, yeah. and Leatherface yeah. and everything there. And yeah. Um, you, you just find, I just found myself just laughing a little bit more at, at just, um, just those interactions, yeah, you know, and especially with, with like Franklin who, I mean, he's, he's sort of a love him, love him or hate him. And I don't know anyone who loves him. No, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> he's just that sort of character that gets under your skin. Yes. Um, and I'm watching him and I just started to think, you know, uh, who, who, who was it? Paul Partain, I think it was, who played Franklin. Yes, yes. I want to say. And you think he might have been the best actor in the movie because he's the one who gets, generates the strongest reaction. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. From anyone. He's so whiny. Yes. And so <laughs> irritated at times. He and, really is. And you can, there's this sort of wonderful moment. Um, where they're all sat, you know, very early doors with everything, and and he's sat and he's sweating, and he's mm-hmm. and he, he's and, and he's, you could clearly see he is grating on every single person, including <laughs> yes. his sister. Oh yeah, they're, they're all they're all sitting there going, "Why the hell did we bring this guy yeah. along?" You get that feeling. Yeah, and it's what's really interesting is the first time you see Franklin. They lower him out of the van. He goes to, to you know, he has to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, so he's yeah, got yeah. his little can there. Yes. And a truck goes by and he goes down the hill in the wheelchair. Yeah. And at that point, we know nothing about Franklin or anyone else. So you feel a little bad for him. So you kind of think maybe Toby Hooper put that scene at the beginning first. Because if we heard him speak, we'd say, <laughs> good. Let that son of a bitch go down the hill and fall over. He's a pain in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. But by absolutely. putting it by putting it where they did, it's like probably the only time we feel a little sorry for Franklin well, it, in the movie. It is actually. And even, you know, before his, uh, spoiler, his demise, mm-hmm. um, and he's wrestling with his sister over the flashlight. Yes. And just, it's just excruciating. And he's beeping the horn. I, right. I probably would have left him on the side of the road. Yes, I, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and and to, to be pushing through these thickets, in the woods, oh. that wheelchair, you know, and, 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 and she, and, you know, that Marilyn, Marilyn Burns. I almost got the feeling it was Marilyn Burns. I mean, this is impossible. You yes, know, it like she was shouting that out to the director. Yes, trying to push this through through these woods. Because um, <laughs> he's and, not a small guy either. No, he's, he's not, not small. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he is. You know, he's a big old guy, and she's trying to drag him through the. No, I would have just tipped him up and left him. Absolutely. And you get you get that feeling throughout the movie. That's what they're trying. And and uh, even like after they have the, the running with the um uh hitchhiker. Yes. They pick up Edwin Neal on the side of the road and yeah. he's a strange, strange guy. Yes. Um and he's you know, he he's talking about nice talking about the slaughterhouse, which Franklin is the only one of of the group who's actually into <laughs> yeah, the slaughterhouse. Yeah. yeah. He actually brings up the slaughterhouse. Yeah. He's talking to him about it. No, I hear they use that gun now. Oh, that gun's no good. It's a sledge when you want to, oh, you know. Yeah. And all of that. And everyone else is just sort of horrified by what's, you know, being discussed here. Yeah. But then after that running and, and, and you know, they, they end up at the house and, and Franklin won't let it go. He's like, you don't think he followed us, do you? 
Yeah. I don't think he could have followed us. Do you think he was writing a drone in blood? You think it was a message to me? And and you're just like you, you want to you want to think this. Let it go. Well, the, <laughs> the irony of the whole of that thing that he's still going on about it—he's obsessed about the hitchhiker tracking him down. And right. He, you know, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna catch up with him. But when he actually sniffs it, when Leatherface actually takes the chainsaw and just does the num does a number on him, mm -hmm. he's got no idea that chainsaw uh, that Leatherface has got anything to do with the hitchhiker. That's right. At all. He's That's got right. no idea what's happening. He's just randomly, you know, it just ends for him. But he's, right. you know, but all the way he's just whinged and moaned. Uh, yes. And that scene where the, I did laugh at the scene where they're all upstairs. He's downstairs yeah. because he can't get up there with his wheelchair. He just starts like, like blowing raspberries up at the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Come on along, Franklin. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this. And I think in some ways, I mean, I, I mean, it, people have written books on this film um, mm -hmm. and doing a bit of reading around of it. You know, some people have sort of even compared Franklin with Leather, uh, with Leatherface and mm. that idea that actually you've got these two sort of characters who both have sort of significant issues going on in their, in their life. And they're both like sort of um, they're both uh, out, almost outcasts within mm -hmm. their own groups, you know, obviously. Yeah. You know, and if you think about Leatherface being an outcast within his little group, that's that's a fairly big thing. But it's yeah. that sort of, you know, he is that sort of the character who is sort of, Franklin is set aside from everyone else. And there's that right. big level of sort of separation between the two of them. And it just, it's, what I love about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is people see the name and they go, oh my God, that must be horrific. Yes. You watch it the first time. And it is, and it's like being assaulted. Mm -hmm. It is yep. absolutely, it's like being assaulted. Absolutely. Um, and then when you go back and you revisit it, then you start picking up on the different layers in this film. And the, you know, how clever Tove Hooper is with 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 what he's put you know in terms of you know the, in terms of the, the the minuscule budget that he was working with the conditions that he was working with mm -hmm. how clever the film is yeah uh, you know what that that's that's very true and and the, like you said the more you watch it the more you see that and then even in in the re the relationship between those three i'm guessing they're all brothers yeah the the, the cook the hitchhiker and um leatherface yeah you get that dynamic, you know, and it's 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 so interesting because when they first go to the gas station where yeah. the, the the cook works, um, oh god, who is I'm trying to see the actor Jim Seedow. Yes. All right, they they have him in credits as old man, but he's out. They I, he becomes the cook, I think, by Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. I think yes. that's what he yeah, goes yeah, by. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he's like, you don't want to go messing around that old house, you know. People who own it, they don't like it. Oh, my daddy owns that. Oh, it's your daddy's place, huh? Well, what? look, these girls, they don't want to go up yeah, there. Why yeah. don't you just come on in and have some barbecue? You know, he's trying to definitely trying to throw them off. He doesn't want them up there for some reason. Then, obviously, uh, what happens is once they get there and everything plays out, and then and, and Marilyn Burns ends up back with yes. the cook. And you get the then you realize why. You know, it's it's one of those things, okay, he's part of yeah. this family. And then you realize all the members of the family. Okay, he drives out there. When he first sees uh, Edwin Neal on the yeah. side of the road, he's just like, 
this stupid son of you know he's like really yeah, yeah. angry at him yeah he gets out and the, you know it's night you just got the headlights of the truck and he's beating him with this stick yes. <laughs> you damn fool i told you not to leave your brother you've been hanging around that graveyard again i told you to stay yeah. away from there and that goes back to the opening of the movie yeah yeah um and then they're going up the you know they go up the hill and at this point you see that that the hitchhiker is kind of afraid of him but at the same time, standing up to him. Yes. You know, like yeah. he's not that afraid of him. Yeah. They get to the house and you got the, I love the line. My favorite line from the movie is, yeah. look what your brother did to the door. Yeah. And he got any pride <laughs> in his home. And we already know that there's a room in this house that's filled with nothing but damn feathers. Yes. And a chicken yeah. in a cage. <laughs> and the, the door's the last thing you need to be worrying about in this place. <laughs> Um, but they go in and there's a great scene. I noticed it last night as I was watching it, you know, where Leatherface is very meek. And we noticed this earlier Yeah. after yeah. the third person wanders in and he, he takes them out where he goes to the window and he's looking out the window. He's like, where are they coming from? Yeah. And he's sitting there all worried. And, and you're thinking he's where I'm, I initially thought he's worried. Where are they coming from? And then Joel, um, uh, my co-host on yeah. HMP made a good point that he's also alone. And he's like afraid because he knows that he's going to, that he's by himself and he's not the decision maker. He's not the one who usually handles these sort of things. No, absolutely. absolutely. And he's forced to do it. And when the chef confronts him, when the cook confronts him and they're in the kitchen and he's got that stick and he says, you better not let any of them kids get away. And he's touching the fridge and he's doing all this stuff. You you sure you got them all? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. doesn't talk. So the cook starts to relax a little, but you can tell he really wants to hit him. Yes. So he absolutely. just, he slowly builds and then all of a sudden he goes, you, you, you look what you did to the door. And he yes. just starts hitting him for what he did to the door because <laughs> he had to hit him. You yes. Know? yes. And it wasn't for the reason he thought because he did the right thing. He got everything done. He started to relax. He was like, no, I really want to hit him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> But that's the that's the absolute beauty of this film, is yeah. that it goes from this sort of t- to moments of just abject terror to almost yes. absurdist comedy, you know. And it's and, absolutely and um, Edward, you know, Edward Neal is amazing mm. uh, in this role because it's so over the top, yet it's so believable. And yes, he, he is, and you know, and. Um, Jim Cedow as uh, as the cook, and when he's talking to her, to Marilyn Burns, Sally, when they're in the car, and mm-hmm. he's saying it's going to be fine, it's going to be okay, and then he starts stabbing her with the stick. He's stabbing her with the stick. Yeah, he's he's a, he's an interesting guy because he's the one who's he says I just can't take any joy in killing, you know, and yeah. that's why that's why you realize that the hitchhiker is getting in his face. Yes, because the hitchhiker is one of the ones who handles this. Him yes. and Leatherface are the two that handle this. So he's yeah. kind of like, you need us. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, ho- you know, watch it. Don't, don't, you know, keep coming. So they, he stands up to him and then the, they get, there's this definite, a definite conflict between the two of them and Leatherface is just off to the side. Yes. You know, he's with whatever one happens to be in power at that moment. And then he's just sort of like, almost like they're, they're, they're toady, I guess, you know, sort of following them around and doing what they want him yeah. to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's that's sort of his role in the family, um, but then but then the cookie he's even lit a little bit of a con. It's it's not really he's not really because, you know, you get the feeling that okay yeah he's the one he doesn't handle the he doesn't handle the killing he doesn't handle the violence, 
But then when the grandfather's there and they're trying to get it, get him to hit her with the hammer, he's cheering. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. go, Grandpa, go, Dinner, Grandpa. grandpa. You know? It's just, Dinner, oh, my. Grandpa. Oh, it's just. And that, I remember the um, the first time I saw this, because, of course, for a very, very long time in the UK, this mm-hmm. was banned. You couldn't get yeah. it in the UK. It ended up being on the video nasties list. Wow. Um, and I, I, can, I can see it. More from reputation by what's than what's actually in there. Yeah, and you know, yeah, from no, the violence violence standpoint, it, it you think it is a lot bloodier than it is. Like yeah. let's take the scene with the hook and the yeah. girl being put on the hook. You see the hook, you're like, oh no. Yeah. You see him lift her up. You see her react to being on the hook, but yeah. you never see the hook penetrating anything. No, no, nothing at all. And and I think. It goes back to the psycho, you know, it's almost like the scene, the shower, the famous shower scene in Psycho. Yes. People think that they see, uh, you know, they see the, the, the her being stabbed, but actually yes. it's done through the editing. But what, what was really interesting um, is that the, the BBFC refused to give it a, a national certificate. Wow. Absolutely point blank refused to give it a national certificate. And then the city of London gave it it's because at one point every sort of county and city could give their own sort of um allow films to be shown mm-hmm. um so for example life of brian um the monty python film life of brian right um received... which which i love i absolutely love that's my that is my favorite yeah. monty python film it was banned it, it, it... in the city of swansea up until about 20 years ago wow it was completely wow. banned from being shown in swansea it had uh, which is crazy. Uh, it is crazy. crazy. It's a bit, you know, I mean, obviously the, with the religious overtones, but it's, it's not a movie about Jesus. It is a movie that takes place at the same time yes. that Jesus was alive. Yes. It's Jesus is, is a, you see him in, uh, I mean, the great sermon on the Mount when yeah. they pull back and Terry Jones is, uh, you know, <laughs> the mother character. Yeah. Speak up. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, that's like hilarious. <laughs> but, Ben Hur did the same thing, told yeah. a story parallel to the life of Jesus without Jesus actually just appearing in a couple scenes. Yeah. That yeah. one wins the Oscar for Best Picture. Life of Brian gets banned. Yes. It's, it's crazy, know, which... isn't it? It is absolutely crazy. <laughs> but what they did with Texas Chainsaw, they gave it an X rating. Uh, so wow. it could be shown in London. Okay. Um, but the X rating obviously put it in the same kind of bracket as, as, as pornography. Which is just, oh. you know, and you, you sort of look at this film now and it's sort of, it's been selected to be um, saved. Um, um, I, I think it's, it's also in the Louvre alongside. Um, yeah. Alongside Night of the Living Dead. Wow. Um, but when I, the first time I saw this, I saw it in a tiny little art house cinema um, hmm. when they did the big, big re-release, when they finally allowed it to go. And I remember being so, so scared watching mm. this film i think i was about 17 or 18 at the time watching wow it. wow get to see it on the in a, in this grubby little art house in, uh, cinema and just almost climbing the walls because yeah. those last 20 minutes oh is... they're 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 so intense and they're so crazy that's what i think i already said one of the things i love about this movie is when you see the opening scene it's set in a graveyard you get that yeah. great uh, you know, in the narration. Yes. With the scroll with by John Larroquette. You don't yeah. know it's John Larroquette. He was a nobody at the time. He was mm. like a, a student in college, I think. And then now he then he went on to be a television star and everything. But yeah, he does that great narration. 
and then you get the scene in the graveyard, and that's where that sound effect comes. You, it's it's amazing. That sound effect is a Polaroid camera. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, that's a Polaroid camera. Movies still use that sound effect because of it was used in Texas Chainsaw. Absolutely. But there's no Polaroid cameras anymore. In the modern <laughs> yeah, yeah, trailers yeah. that they're using it for, it makes no sense. But you know, but it's become synonymous now, hasn't it? It Man. has. It's 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 almost like the like like Friday the Thirteenth. You know, yeah. You know that it's that same thing. It's become it has it, it's become iconic. It's now an iconic sound or, or sound effect. Yes. Uh, in horror. And if people want to pay any sort of homage to the movie at all, they're going to use that sound effect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but you look at that first scene in the graveyard and then where it goes with these kids in, in the van and you feel the heat in that van. I mean, you can see yes. the sweat. And you're like, oh, that must be so uncomfortable. And of course, when they were shooting, it was in the summer in Texas and it was very hot down there. Yes. But you watch the you watch those scenes and you have no way of knowing when the where it like where it ends up at the end with this dinner table and these characters oh no completely completely you it, you know it comes you know i mean i suppose you know it, it kind of falls in that sort of um the, you know the, the the you know some people have even compared it to a sort of extreme episode of scooby doo where, right <laughs> uh, where people you know you, you the the group of kids in their van they they appear to to, to carry out this investigation but you can nothing I don't, nothing can prepare you for that dinner seat. Nothing. Nothing, I, 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 nothing because that you're just like, wow, how did we get here? And I love movies that surprise you like that. And that's one of the things I loved about it. Another thing that I always loved about this movie is there's no learning by the characters. You know, you get, you get, um, uh, even in something like the first Friday the 13th, uh, towards the end, one character realizes what's going on and is in terror and is running and everything is screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of the characters that are victims or service victims or potential victims in this have any clue what they're in for until the last few moments of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And then it's too late. There's no learning. So when Sally and Franklin are hitting the horn, trying to call the other three back, we know they're not coming back. We want to tell them, get in that van, get the hell out of there. Yeah, you're you're in grave danger, but we know they won't because they have no idea what's happened. Absolutely, and it's you know it's that sort of what Toby will create is this sense of like the doomed characters, you know, right. and it, and you just this film sort of just slowly but surely cranks it up, step by step by step by step by step, and then just lets it go. As everybody right. is just sort of you know you know everybody is bumped off, and then we're left with Sally, and then you get this this, I mean the editing, in that scene and the angles on which it is shot, and the light mm -hmm. it's just it's it is it's 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 an absolute assault on the senses, and the sound, it is the sound in this film is unreal. It's unbelievably mm. good, unbelievable. It is good. and. Uh, it is. And with, like you said, with the shouting and the, and you're getting, seeing her eyes. I mean, Marilyn Burns, give her a lot of credit in this one. I mean, she really is a good actress. I mean, she, the next movie she made with Toby Hooper was Eaten Alive. 
and she was tremendous in Eaten Alive. Yeah. I mean, she was really strong in that movie too. And you really I, you admire her as an actress from these two because when they're getting those close-ups of her eyes, yes. you can tell this this is someone whose mind has snapped now. Their yeah. mind, her mind is snapped, and she is insane. It does those green eyes. I mean, those like the colors that I see. I mean, I was watching it on Blu-ray. Yeah, but yeah. those the green her green eyes and the close-up are, are striking, but they're broken. I mean, this is a broken person at this point and, and she's screaming and yelling. And then, you know, she, she, she can't believe what's going on. She can't accept what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and the fact that she's, that they're trying to get what appears to us to be a corpse to yes. hit her on the head yeah. with the hammer. Like when grandpa starts sucking on a finger, uh, I thought, first time I saw it, I thought they're dragging a corpse around until yeah. you see the sucking on the finger. Like, Oh my God, this son of a bitch is still alive. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just his grandfather is still alive. And it's sort of it's almost like you you know when you look at the, the makeup and, and the prosthetic on him, yeah, he doesn't look real. He looks right. like one of Edward Neal's creations. Yes, it's like when he's yes. you think oh he's just, they've just stitched him together, and then you do realize he is alive, and it's that sort of like that that massively grotesque character. Yeah, and it's that, yes. And the noise of him sucking on her finger is just and and, and while and while he's doing it, moving his arms like a giddy little boy. Yes, you know, like he's sucking on the blood, and he's real happy to be doing it. Come on, Grandpa! Get yeah. him, Grandpa! Oh. Come on! You know, it's all of this going on in this yeah. movie, and it's funny because the guy in playing Grandpa was the youngest of the four. He was the youngest <laughs> member of that yes. family, cast wise. You know, um, oh my goodness, it was it. it, it, it that final scene, it, it really is just crazy. It's total insanity. Yes. And you're like, how is she going to get away? Is she going to get away? And then she then she does, and we get her running. And then Edwin Neal could have grabbed her at any point, but he's yes. having too much fun slashing her in the back with yeah. his knife, you know? Yeah. And he's yeah. enjoying himself doing that. Um, Leatherface is following with the chainsaw. <laughs> the one person I always felt bad for, and I felt even worse for him watching it last night, is that truck driver yeah, who just pulls yeah, up. Yeah, no <laughs> idea like, what's going on. No idea what's going on, and all of a sudden he's running for his life. He's in a living nightmare. Yeah. He's just, yeah, he kills somebody, and he's running from this this maniac in a in a in a, in a mask with a chainsaw, yeah. trying to get away. Um, then the other guy who drives up in a truck. He's like, what the hell is going on here? And Marilyn Burns jumps in the back. Drive, drive. And he can't get the truck going. And Leatherface is stumbling. Oh, my God. That's a it, really it bad really day is at just, work. It, it is. Yeah. But you're yelling. You're yelling. Get the truck going. You want to see her get away. Yeah, absolutely. But even as, they're, even as they're driving away, the way she's laughing, the way she's looking, you think she's insane. Her yeah. mind is snapped. She has now, she has now gone completely insane. And can she ever come back? So, did she ever really escape from that house? Well, that's the you thing, know, isn't it? Even no, though physically she did, but yeah. mentally she probably never will. Absolutely, and and it's that idea, isn't it? It's sort of, I mean, this is the classic, um, almost the downer of an end. You know, that the seventies gave us that. But yeah, you know, even though, like you said, physically she doesn't get out of there. Uh, you know, physically she gets out of there, but mentally, who knows? Because that look in her eye, eyes as yeah. she's driving off, is just inc- it, it. It's a great piece of acting. It's a right. wonderful piece of acting. It it really is. It's it's absolutely incredible. And and I don't know that she had given any key before that, 
Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, because the scenes with them in the truck and everything, I mean, you know, it's, it's low budget. Nobody's a bad actor. I'm not saying no, no, none of them are bad actors. It's just sort of the typical, you know, relating to the boyfriend and the friends and the uh, yeah. girl reading yeah. the horoscope and just sort of general. At that point, Franklin's the best actor, I think, because this is a guy playing. And it's interesting because Paul Partain was a method actor. So he was Franklin, even like behind the scenes all the time. Oh, I bet that was fun to work with. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. That's, he was he was the the most disliked member of the cast. I, the, when Gunnar Hansen, I've heard two commentaries with Gunnar Hansen. Yeah. Yeah. The first was recorded in the 90s. And Gunnar Hansen said, I was never more satisfied than when I, I hit that guy with a chainsaw. I couldn't <laughs> stand that guy. He was so annoying. By the second one, they were going to conventions with Paul Partain. And Marilyn Burns said the same thing. Oh, he was so annoying. Once they had reconnected and got to know him, they both said he was the sweetest, kindest man they'd yeah. ever known. Because he had passed away at that point. And it was yeah. such a pleasure to go with him to these things. But being a method actor <laughs> and being that character must have been so grating to everybody. Oh my God. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't sort of, you know, that chainsaw didn't actually end up being real because it's just. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, where was the first time that you came across this? I It was on TV. And wow. I'm trying to remember, it might have been even just been on regular TV, which means, you know, I'm sure some stuff was cut out of it at that point. Yeah. But I don't know how much. I, I, and I can't rem I, I want to say I was fairly I think I was in. I think I I'm I, saying I, I, I think I, it was late. I wasn't like a, I, I think might have been around the same age as you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to see this in, in a in a theater. I would absolutely. That's my goal is to see this on a big screen at some point, and I'm hoping that they show it at some point, like at, at Halloween yeah, around here or yeah. something. I mean, I actually live very close. Um, I'm probably about 12 miles from the theater where, where they shot the original Blob. Oh wow! And and uh, so they have something called Blob Fest in July, where everyone gets <laughs> together and to kick it off on Friday night, everyone runs from the theater in panic. You know, which is really pretty cool. And I've, I've never, I've got to get to that too. But and I'd love it because they show movies like these sort of movies. Um, it's the um, uh, the Colonial in in um, in Phoenixville, PA, and oh, they wow. show these kind of movies. And I would love to be in that theater, seeing the te the theater where they shot the Blob, seeing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. See, now that in itself could be a film. The yes. theater where they shot the blob watching Texas Chains. You know, yeah, we, I would love that. that that's, that's, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. what is interesting and what, what I read, because sometimes I think when they take films and they clean them up um, mm -hmm. and they really, you know, they give them the, the full 4K treatment and everything else. Sometimes these films, you know, some of the, sometimes these films lose that element. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, I, you know, there are lots of people who are sort of, you know, oh, you've got to see it on VHS. But actually, the transfer for the Blu-ray on this is excellent. It's Dark Sky. Yeah. Yeah. Dark Sky did a wonderful job with it because they 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 cleaned it up to a point. But yet it's still gritty. Mm. You know, there's still that grittiness to it. You still feel the heat coming from, you know, from the screen and. And you feel the, just the dirt and, and the dust and the grime yeah. uh, of this movie, even in high definition. You know, I think one of the things I, I was most disappointed is something like, and I don't have this in, in high definition, but when they released the original Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the animated movie from the 30s. Yeah, yeah. That you almost felt the matting and the draw, like you, you felt that they were drawings at that point. Like it didn't seem alive. Yes, yeah. Because the, it was yeah. cleaned up too much. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That does that doesn't happen with this movie. At least the job Dark Sky did on it. You know, you clean it up to a point, but you don't want to take too much away from this uh, yeah. from this movie as far as as the the grittiness and and a definite shout out to Daniel Pearl for cinematography oh, because I... even with the grittiness. There are some gorgeous shots in this film. I, and that's something that, that in some of one of my notes that I've got written down, actually, it's beautiful to look at. And I know that mm-hmm. somebody is going to say, you're saying, using the word beautiful to look at in Texas Chainsaw. Yes. <laughs> but that, you know, the, you know, you look at those, that final shot of uh, Leatherface swinging yep. the chainsaw around and you've got the sun and he's framed by the sun. Because yes. Um, in terms of lighting, I don't think they had an awful lot of lighting on this. Lots of it is done no. with natural light. A uh, lot, of, except except the dinner scene, and unfortunately, they use real food. That's something we'll uh, get to. I guess a little bit. And after a few hours, when the actors had to lean in over to look down at Marilyn, the camera, and you know, we're like to look, looking at Marilyn Burns's uh, character, they're like, we could not, we could barely get our face down toward that food. <laughs> no, uh, after five hours under those lights, but just no, you're right. And there's there's even a scene I think where is it Jerry who's walking to find the other two yes, walking yeah. over a hill and that gorgeous it's a gorgeous gorgeous shot and 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 it was Daniel Pearl who came up with the idea of following the girl under the swing as she's walking toward the house shooting down and up at her yeah. with the house getting bigger behind her as she's moving towards it you know we we know what just happened uh, to Kirk her yes. boyfriend and this is Pam play I want to say uh, Terry Mc, Terry McMinn. And, you know, uh, of course, what she talks about is like, well, of course, it's a shot of my ass as I'm walking <laughs> toward the house. And it kind of is. But yeah, the house is getting bigger and it's just it's taking on a different sort of feel. It's becoming, as it's it's getting becoming the bigger. monster, isn't it? It's becoming it the... is. It's it's becoming the monster behind her. Yeah. And we find that out because she's the one who falls in that room with the feathers and there's a chicken in a cage <laughs> hanging there and a, a couch made of bones. And she's uh. and, and you're like. What is this that we're looking at here? What what is going on here? Yeah, and then we find out. And I we I think we have to pause and talk for a minute. I mean, well, I know we're jumping all over the place here, but yeah. we have to pause and talk for a minute about that first kill, about Kirk. I was going to come he on stumbles. To that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got. Well, to... go ahead. You 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 lead this one. And, I've got you know... what I'm wanting saw in the cinema actually, and obviously there were lots of people who hadn't seen it before, and the moment that the hammer connected with him there was a guy sat just two maybe a row or so behind and he just went jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) and the entire you know the entire room was just absolutely and the noise of the door coming across Yes, the and that that con- sort of echo, boom. Yes, you know, oh my, that's. But it's the hit, and then the twitch. Y- yes, you know the, the the like shaking because something's going, and then he gets hit again. Yeah, and then dragged in, and boom, and then you're like, okay, well, that's the last we've ever seen of this guy. Yeah, but you're just like, holy Christ, what just happened? It's so sudden, and this is like this is. There's no build up to this, you know. There's no, no there's no spooky scene. music. No, no. The first time we see Leatherface is that moment. And you're like, what the hell? And you see yeah. him and boom. And you're like, oh, my God. And there's like no time to really take any of it in. No. Because you're just reacting like the cat. Like you're just like, what's going on? What the hell? And, he's, he's, he, and Kirk almost has like that. The, the shot of him in the doorway is yes. almost like it's almost high noon. 
that framing yes. in that when he comes through the door, you know, and he's just sort of he's, he's knocking. And before anything else, it's it's again, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful shot. It really is. And then, so so really, Pam is the first one we're saying get the hell out of there. But yes. we know she can't. She doesn't know what's happened. Yes. So Pam goes walking toward the house, and there's that great scene where Kirk finds the tooth. Yeah, and he puts it in yeah. Pam's head, and she's like, ah, "Let's go! Like, let's get the hell out of here." She didn't want to be there in the first place. No, and that's that's like her final, like, "Let's go!" Because yeah. she's with the tooth. Um. Oh, and then and and then later, and what when? So what happens with Pam? Pam's the one we were talking about. When she walks in, she's the one who ends up on the hook. Yes. So she's she's not only in pain, she's watching as Kirk is being dissected with the chainsaw, which we don't see mercifully at this point because we're trying, you know, we can't take, you know, at this point, we're already horrified by everything that's happened. Yeah. We don't need anything more visceral than that. Yeah. But so we are thinking now she's got to watch this happen to him while hanging there knowing she's next. Yes. And having to deal with that reality, you know? And actually, it's that idea that she has been, she's hanging on this hook. And slowly, Mm -hmm. this hook is obviously, is sinking deep, deep, further and further into her. While she's watching her boyfriend being taken apart. It's Right. I mean, I mean, what amazed me is that Toe Pooper wanted a PG rating for this. Yeah, I know. Which is, (laughs) which is insane. Which it is, is insane. It just, you know, by the violence, okay, then there's no nudity, there's no sex, fine, but the, just the subject matter and these 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 scenes of horror. Yeah, th- 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 this is something that you know uh, we we were teenage. I mean, we were. I was later teenager when I saw it. Yeah. Oh my God, you know, it's like, and it almost broke me. Yeah. And it sounds the same <laughs> with you. Oh, God, uh, yeah. you know, there's no way that uh, the, a PG audience could have handled this. I mean, no way. Even the you know we take everything away mm-hmm. if you just say the title to somebody yes <laughs> the texas chainsaw takes. massacre the fact yep I, I mean i you know in you know in, you think if to sort of take you know take it apart and dissect it and all those kind of things those couple of those words on their own don't really mean an awful lot but put them together and it just <laughs> it just creates this image this mm-hmm. horrific idea of oh my god what am i going to be watching what who is it what are we going and you don't actually you never actually see anybody no actually cut with a chainsaw but no. it's alluded to and especially no. in that scene with kirk you yeah. know well it's, actually it's leatherface is the only person who cuts him, his, himself with his own yes. chainsaw at the end that's, that's right it. at the end that's it and it's just a little bit on his leg just enough to slow him down yeah to let marilyn burns make her escape at the end um, and then the scene with with Jerry. Okay, now Jerry goes looking for them, and there's a little bit of a of a of an underlying thing between him and Marilyn Burns's character at this point because he's needling Franklin. They're looking at the yeah, bonus yeah, side. What yeah, do you yeah, think? Yeah. What do you think? Do you think this was a message to me? I told you, Franklin, he's coming to get you. Well, <laughs> he, he he doesn't know where we live, right, Sal? He won't get in. And Jerry's like, I told him where you live, Franklin. He's going to kill you. I give Don't him worry. his zip code. <laughs> I, yeah, I gave him his zip. He's going to find you. And so Marilyn Burns get a little annoyed about that, but not too too much. So then Jerry's like, "All right, let me go find Kurt and Pam." And Marilyn Burns like, the, "You know, uh, Sally is like, you yeah, want me yeah. to come with you? You want me to come with you?" And he's like, "No, it's okay. You stay here." So you think, "Oh, well, nice. that just pissed her off, yeah. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> she's staying now with the annoying Franklin." Yes. and it's almost as if Jerry is saying, uh, "Saying, 
hey, you brought this guy along, stay with him. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so so there's uh, so you know, Frank is like, are you mad at me, son? No, I'm not mad at you, Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, but then Jerry walks off. We get that beautiful shot of him with the sun setting in the background yeah. as he's and he hears the house and you're saying to him, don't go in there, but he's got to go in there. Yeah. And he walks in because he sees her garment there. I don't know if it's a coat or whatever it was, shirt across, or if it's either, if it's either Kirk's or hers there, and he, he knows they were there. Yeah. So now yeah. he's got to walk in, and he walks in, and you get that scene with when he opens the refrigerator of Pam in there. Yes. And the way she's reacting, and then you get that, you know, that sound effect to yeah. go along with it. And then all of a sudden, Leatherface appears, and Jerry... He's the, the the actor who played Jerry, Alan Danziger. It's it's great because he's screaming like a girl. Yes. I mean, he is screaming yes. like, ah! like a high pitched scream. And that is how the reaction would be. You know, this is not an actor giving a scream that's no. going to be this is a this is a guy terrified of everything that's going on, and this is a natural reaction from him to scream like a girl <laughs> when this guy is going to swing this hammer. And that's the point where Leatherface is like, what's going on? Where are these people coming from? Oh my God. I'm, like, now he's scared to death of what's the, what's the cook going to say? Are they going to be found out? Is the car, the cops going to come? Are what's gonna going on people? here? Yeah. And that... Are more people out there? He's looking out the window. Are more people coming? What's going on? And, and then he sits there panic stricken. And it, when he's got his one hand, on his on his head, just yes. sat there. Just he's got just, his apron, and, just... and his and his tongue twitching under the mask, and you know, and you're just like, yes. what? You know, he's he's now he's now in the role of just being afraid. He's now scared. Yes, be, because what's happening? You know, what what's going on? Do are there more coming? I thought I was done with these other two, who I wasn't expecting, and now here's a third one. How many more are going to come out of the woodwork? What's happening here? What's going on? Yeah, and it's the fact that obviously. He just walks into a room and yep. there's another person there. You yep. know, he's somebody walks. All these people just keep appearing in his house. Right. And, he's, you know, this is this is crazy. Obviously, as a guy walking around wearing right. somebody yeah. else's skin. Yes. exactly. And this is not like with Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. They're going after their victims. Yes. This guy, they're coming to him. Yeah, he's not looking to kill these people. They're falling. They're tripping. And he's like, OK, well, you know, you walked into my house. You saw too much. Boom. Yes. He, you assume he saw too much. Kirk didn't see anything. No, no. But but Pam is the one who sees everything. And, you know, it's like and that scene where he's dragging, like she runs and he picks her up and is bringing her back into the house. And you're just That's like, oh, my God. And, you know, it, it, then they show that hook. You're like, oh, Jesus, he's going to put her on the hook. And, yeah. It's like an uh, extreme it, version of Of Mice and Men. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's trying to simply, you know, just where Lenny would have a chainsaw on a hook. But, it's, right. you know, the one thing that I, you know, and people talk about sort of, you know, since we're talking about, you know, uh, Leatherface, is Gunnar Hansen's performance in this. Yes, absolutely. Is wonderful. And I love the fact that he has got three different masks and three different outfits that he changes into. <laughs> yep, and he's got an apron for when he's cooking, yep. and a wig. And... <laughs> yeah, and then he's got a full face of makeup yep, for, for right. dinner. And <laughs> even though this is sort of, you know, in amongst all these absurd, massive performances, there are moments of real subtlety with Leatherface. And because Gunnar Hansen's huge. Yeah. He's a big guy. 
He's a really mm-hmm. big guy. And that, you know, that, that moment where he sat there and he's got his head in his hands and he doesn't know what's going on is just is is a superb scene. It's sort of, you know, it, it is it's sort of Karloff-esque. It really is, because then you start wondering, because it, so up to that point, he was the monster. Yes. And at that point now, he becomes a different sort of person where you're like, oh, no, this is just, this is almost like, this is almost like, like a special needs person yes. who, uh, who has just not been handled properly. And, and you know, the, you, you start to feel a little bad. You feel more. You feel bad for Leatherface before you ever felt bad for Franklin. I'm well. Not, oh. it's not true. You felt bad for Franklin initially, but you know, Leatherface becomes more sympathetic. Yes, he does. But, but but yet still maintains. He's still got that role in the family and still is sort of a monster. You yeah. know. And, but but you do feel kind of like wow. He, there's more to him than that in that scene of him out looking out the window and holding his head and yeah. My God, what what's happening? You know, because he you almost feel like he's a victim in a way. Oh, you know, with completely. with what's happening and and just the role he plays in this family, and that and and that is the interesting thing, isn't it? it that, that that this clearly psychotic, deranged family—they all have very clearly defined roles. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. The the cook—he's the one who gets the money. Yeah. He brings it. Oh, I think the funniest thing is after he after he gets Sally in the bag and throws her into the truck. Yeah. You know, after hitting her with the stick, he gets out and turns off the lights in yeah. the place and shuts the door and goes, electricity will put a man out of business these yeah. days. <laughs> but again, it's that, it, it, like I say, it goes to, it goes to that sort of, it, it's a film of extremes. Yep. And it's a very, very fine line that, that, that this film walks and it does it so well. It does it incredibly well. And I think obviously, yep. you know, to, I think Toby Hooper, does not get enough credit for um you know when you look i mean he you know he made some you know he made some lesser films after this uh, he did he made some lesser films but i mean you know he is one of the ones like when you when when you talk about the 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 you know the the great horror directors yeah you've got like george romero yes comes up you know george and then john carpenter yeah. and a lot of these you know Wes craven and a lot of yeah. these guys who get this sort of you know level of of respect and and rightly so you know that, that yeah. these are guys who have earned it they've done some masterpieces but let's be honest george romero has made some duds especially yeah. later in his career and, and I, I have a i have a theory about that because george romero one of the things with with it, just real quick, one of the things with his with his Living Dead films are, yeah. they weren't just about the Living Dead. They were no, no, no. comments on society. They were like like Dawn of the Dead is clearly on commercialism and 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 you know being at the mall and everything. Day of the Dead is about this the military and and science and and you know the the this what happens when you get like the, the this uh, the, this conflict between the two and the military takes yeah. you know there's a lot yeah. more going on in these movies. But that was George Romero's era and he was connected to that. And, you know, there's there's Vietnam and all these other things going on in these films. George Romero then sort of withdrew and lost touch for a while. He even said, you know, he sort of sat at home. He didn't really watch movies anymore. So when it came to to doing Diary of the Dead and the Internet, someone posts a video and then a minute later says, wow, there's a million views. No, George, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, he lost touch. He wasn't connected anymore to what he was trying to make a statement about. Absolutely. And he didn't know enough about it to, to, for it to work. 
and that's where he sort of lost it. With Toby Hooper, though, you look at look at some of what he's done. Okay, we'll go. We'll, we'll talk about Poltergeist first because Poltergeist is the one where people are like, it was a Spielberg movie, and you know what? There are elements of Poltergeist that are a Spielberg movie. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, the the family and the relationship of the family and the fact that, you know, that uh, because when you look at it, it's like almost like what he did with Close Encounters of the Third yeah, Kind yeah, with, with Roy and his family. It's carried over here to this to the Poltergeist. It's not necessarily the greatest family union, but they all love each other and they're yeah. all very close. Yes. And that's why that movie works is because you want to see this family reunited. You don't like to see them in what they're in. No. But there are moments in that movie, the bodies uh, coming out of the wall and yeah. the stake turning into maggots. And yeah. there are moments in that that are Toby Hooper also. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so it's a combination of a Spielberg Hooper Film. I mean, even Spielberg has come out and said, no, Toby Hooper directed it. I mean, he did say that they didn't always see eye to eye on things, you know, and I think it might have been like the last sort of big movie that Toby Hooper directed, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Um, where he sort of pulled that. But OK, so you have that. Now, first of all, Eaten Alive. I love Eaten Alive. Eaten Alive and Texas Chainsaw Massacre could be a great double bill because it's almost oh, like they exist yes. in the same world. Yes, absolutely. Abs I totally agree with you on that. You know that that this this town could be the next town over from where this the, <laughs> from where the family's living. Yes, you know, and, and, and they they really they could exist in the same world. And then the Fun House, what an underrated horror Absolutely. film that is! Absolutely, I love the Fun House. I love it. There's moments in that that are just uh, incredible, and there's moments in that that are batshit crazy too like yeah. like when when the when the when the, he's hooking up with the gypsy to to, yeah, to for sex and, and you know and and the, the just crazy stuff and then the opening scene first off i always thought the girl looked like she was 13 and to see yeah. her topless you're like yeah. whoa yeah, what's that, going on that, here i mean she wasn't but you know mm. um but so there are moments in that movie and and that are brilliant i think and they're really great the more i see that movie the more i respect it yeah yeah Life Force is another underrated film of his. I I enjoyed Life Force. Yeah, I and, do you know what? I like I've got a lot of time for Life Force. Um I watched Life Force um when I was way too young. Mm -hmm. And it certainly left an impression on me. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you know, and thank God for Golden Globus because they Golden Globus because they just let him get on with it. And, right. Right. You know, it's a again, it's batshit crazy film it is it is it is a crazy film it's another one where you're just not sure where it's going or who's going to be standing at the end of it you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. um his invaders from mars uh the remake yeah um i think i saw that before i saw the original i do prefer the original to the remake obviously yeah, yeah. um but again i thought you know i i I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't. I can't really comment on it because I haven't seen it in a very long time. I just will say that I do prefer the original to to his remake of this. Now we get the Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. This is a movie I initially had problems with, but I'm slowly coming around to it. The problems I always had were Dennis Hopper, you know not what? his performance, yeah. not his performance per se, but the fact that it seemed like it's two movies going on at once, and Dennis Hopper's in his own sort of movie. Yeah, um, yeah, without the, without the family, you know, I love Caroline Williams in it, and I love that Bill Mosley took over the role of what was essentially the hitchhiker, which didn't make a lot of sense yeah. from the end of the first movie, 
but he took over that sort of character because Bill Mosley's the perfect guy. If you're not going to get Edward Neal, you get Bill Mosley. And I thought he yeah, did a great yeah. job. And, and, you know, Bill Mosley's a fantastic, fantastic actor. Absolutely. Superb. And then you've got that great scene with Jim Cedar where he wins this award for his meat and it's staining his polyester yeah. suit. You know, <laughs> yeah. he has no idea that the meat is spilling onto his suit. And he's yeah. just sort of, thank you so much. My family's been in meat, you know, and, but uh, it was the humor. I mean, there's a lot more humor in that one than there is. I mean, even the poster, he designed it to look like the breakfast club. Oh, yes. With the, with the family, yeah. like yeah. laying around there and the leather face laying out like, like was it Molly Ringwald, I yeah. guess, or wherever that was <laughs> laying on the ground, you know. The, but I'm coming around to it. I'm, I'm enjoying it more each time I see it. I'm like, you know what? It's, it's, uh, my problem with it was it wasn't the first one. The first one is my second favorite movie of all time. The Godfather is the only movie ahead of it that I, that I is on, on my list, but it's my favorite yeah. horror film of I all mean, time. The, the original you, Texas Chainsaw. I mean, this is a sort of you know, it is a when you create something that is like so iconic mm-hmm. to then try and you know, I I don't think in terms of um, cre- you know, when you go back and you create the sequel, to, you you come back and you have to create a sequel to it. Don't have a lot of places to go with it. And I think the only way, the only place that he had to go with it is to make it crazier. Yeah. And and so insane because the first one is so insane. Right. Right. And you've got to sort of up it from there, but without going, you know, but, but by still grounding it a little bit, he did that with like Carolyn Williams and, and Leatherface. Yeah. Um, And what happens, you know, between the two of them and, and, and setting it in that carnival. Yeah. I loved that. I absolutely loved that. He said that like that as sort of amusement park setting. Yes. Um, I thought that was great. And having Jim Seedow back was awesome. And, and like I said, Bill Mosley in it. Yeah. The cast is good. And Dennis Hopper is not. Dennis Hopper is one of those guys who, you know, if you know, the well, obviously with the history of Dennis Hopper with Easy Rider and the fact that uh, I always think of when I see Dennis Hopper, I know he was an Easy Rider. And, also, and, and obviously with David Lynch. Um, yeah. Uh, with Blue Velvet. But for me, I always think of Mad Dog Morgan, the Australian film that he made yes. because he was so he, he to prepare for that character. He did nothing but drink rum and got <laughs> drunk. He was he was thrown out of Australia. The judge said, you have to leave the country and you've got to leave now, <laughs> you know, because it's a conversation so... to have, though, isn't it? With somebody. Listen, yeah, you are that drunk. Yes, you can't stay here. Not right. in this room, in this country. <laughs> You've you must leave the country. You know, <laughs> you've got to leave the country. I mean, there was a part David Gopalil who's in Mad Dog Morgan, and I yeah. think he's in pretty much every Australian movie made in the seventies. David Gopalil, which, yeah. with yeah. the exception of the Chant of Jimmy of of uh, uh, Jimmy Blacksman, I think it might be the only one he wasn't yeah. in. But David Gopalil went away he disappeared for two days and the director he came back and the director said you can't do that david and david said well i wanted to go talk to the trees and i had to ask him a question i i asked him and they told me that that dennis is is crazy and the director said christ i could have told you that you have to disappear for two days and ask the trees i could have told you he's insane i mean um but but dennis yeah. but hopper but but yet you know what i've never seen a, a hopper in anything even that uh, there was a documentary about him um, called the American was it the American Dreamer and it was about him making his movie, um, and and he's batshit crazy in that and that's Dennis Hopper, 
So yeah. it's not that I didn't like his performance. I just thought it was different. It was two different movies going on at the same time, and they weren't necessarily gelling. The first time I saw it, they didn't gel well enough for me to say, wow, I, I kind of like this movie. And there's there's a scene that actually made me laugh is when he comes across Franklin's body. Yes. So not only did they take it from the house, they left it in the wheelchair and they kept the flashlight with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as Franklin decayed, the flashlight stayed in his hand. You know, I thought it was it was interesting. But again, I'm 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 warming up to it more as I watch it. And I'm looking at it more as a trick because I actually like Leatherface from 1992. I actually enjoyed that one to a to a point as well. None of them are going to touch the original. This is a different series. Yeah, you know, yeah, when you yeah, look yeah. at the Friday the 13th. You get films, you get peaks and valleys in that. Um, Halloween, peaks and valleys. There's certainly some valleys in that, Yes, oh yes, there are. There are valleys in Friday the 13th. There are some (laughs) valleys in Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. In this one, they started the peak and just sort of went down (laughs) with Texas Chainsaw. Yes. You know, they never hit that level again. It started at the very top. And, you, you know, with Friday the 13th, hey, you can make the case the final chapter. Or even Friday the 13th Part 2, you could, there yeah. are people who champion that one that maybe that one's even a little better than the original. And, and how, nothing really is better than the first Halloween. But you get some damn good movies later on in that series, oh, too. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and yet, but so, again, peaks and valleys. Same with Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street 1, but Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is pretty damn good, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, but with, te- with Texas Chainsaw, it's Texas Chainsaw, and then it just starts to go down in quality. Now, the bit. elephant in the room, of course. Oh, uh, I know where you're going. Is the remake. Well, the remake. Okay, good. I thought you were going with uh, Next Generation. Oh, Never no. Mind. no. I've, <laughs> I, I've blanked the Next yes, Generation for the simple reason that's an hour and a half of my life. I'm never getting back. <laughs> oh, with me, it's three hours because Greg Amortis made me watch that damn thing twice <laughs> for podcasts because I couldn't remember it by the time I said, I got to watch this again. Uh, and I told him, I said, look, if you ever bring this up again, I'm winging it. I am not watching this movie again. I'm just not going to do it. Um, but yes, the remake. Okay. One of the things, now, one of the things that I thought was interesting uh, about the remake is that this time, it's the characters that would be like the Sally and the Kirks that yes. you're more connected to than the family. I am a Arlie Army fan. I am. Yeah. But I actually like the scenes with those characters more than I like the scene with Arlie Army and the family. Yes, absolutely. In the second, in the, in the remake, yeah. I really did. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think do you know the it, the I enjoyed the remake. I'm not mm-hmm. one of these people who just sort of like hated it out of hand. I enjoyed it. But it felt, in compared to the original, mm-hmm. it felt soulless. It did. It it did. It didn't quite. It it didn't have. And Daniel Pearl was back for cinematographer, and and yeah. I thought he did a good job. With I mean, there's that one sh- scene where the camera sort of zooms through the the van a- yeah. after something's happened, yeah. and I was like, wow, that's a great shot, actually. Um, but yes, you're you're. It doesn't. It doesn't have. It, it doesn't have the grittiness. It doesn't have the same sort of what the hell am I watching element to yeah, it. Yeah, and I mean... It, that the first one has. It kind of felt like going to the theatre and watching um, the sort of the matinee team. Yeah. Do it. It, it, yes. it, sort of, it, had, all it, the, it had all the right parts. Mm-hmm. It moved and in it, the right and direction. And it was entertaining enough. I'm not going to, you know, I I'm, I wouldn't tell somebody to, oh, avoid it. You know, it's a remake. Stay away from it. It's my favorite movie. It it's was not remade. the Fog remake. 
No, it's not the Fog remake, and it's not the Poltergeist remake. And that, you know, it's it's, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I've never watched the Poltergeist remake because it's interesting. I had a stronger connection to Poltergeist than I thought I did because I was never uh, one of these guys either. It's like when they remade a film. Yeah. Because to be honest with you, the Dawn of the Dead remake, there were I liked that. I thought it was interesting I, where Zack yeah. Snyder went with that. I liked that movie as much as and Dawn of the Dead is my second. The original George Romero is my yeah. second favorite horror film of all time. Yeah. But yet I liked the 2004 Dawn of the Dead. I, I really did. I still think that opening is one of the best. Oh, openings. that ten minutes! It's one of my favorite sort of pre-title sequences because yeah. I think it's a pre-title sequence. That whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Of all time, and it is amazing that that opening ten minutes. When and then it's even up to when the, the point. titles kick in, and yes. you got when the man comes around by Johnny. Oh, Cash. you got the Johnny it's, Cash. Oh, it's, just... it's so good, and it takes you into the movie, and you're you're ready for it. And I loved it. I saw that in the theater, and I was like, "Wow, this yeah. is awesome!" Yeah. And also a year later, um, the um, why am I blanking on the name? <laughs> Damn it! It's it was Alexander Aja did it. it was a remake of the West Craven. Oh, the, Hills the Hills of Eyes. Hills, it's, the it's Hills superb. Have Eyes remake is excellent. It's an excellent remake. It really is. I and I'm a fan of the first one. I yeah. really am. Yeah. But that remake is strong. There are some excellent things in that remake. Yeah. I mean, I I thought I knew I loved it. Yeah. So I'm not one of these guys who is like, and even with Rob Zombie's Halloween, I'm not the biggest fan of. Of that because I didn't know that Michael Myers needed the backstory. I liked it when I liked it better when Loomis is saying, "By as a matter of fact, he is. It is yeah. the boogeyman." Yeah. You know, yeah, and we don't Absolutely. know why. I don't want uh, Michael Myers to be that broken child with long hair. Right. Yeah. I don't that, want that, that. I don't want. That, I don't want to know. And I'm with you on that. I didn't like that part of it, but yet there were still things about Halloween, the remake, yeah. that I did like. There were even things about Halloween, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween Two, that I liked. I could have done without the horse. Yeah, that was just. I, I did I kind of check like, it when the unicorn showed up. That yeah, was, uh... I, that was kind of like uh, okay. But then when I'm and, and but with the Poltergeist remake. You know, I, and like I said, I've never been one of those guys, but with the Poltergeist remake, it hurt me because I was, it was 1982. Raiders of the Lost Ark is what made me the film fan I am today. Yeah. And it was Great because film. of the circumstances under which I saw it. I, uh, people on podcasts have probably heard me say this before. So forgive me for repeating <laughs> myself, but it was my brother's 10th birthday and we were going to see the movie Dragon Slayer. We couldn't wait to see Dragon Slayer. All of us were talking about it. It's going to be so cool. We've seen the commercials for it. We couldn't yeah. wait to see the movie. My father is taking us. There's about, um, I'm in the front seat with my father. And in the back, there's about four, my brother and three or four of our friends piled in. And I guess we're making a lot of noise and all. We get to the theater at, at the King of Prussia Mall. And my father looks up at the marquee and under his breath just goes, shit. I look at the marquee and I don't see Dragon Slayer on the marquee. He took us to the wrong theater. Oh, no. So we're looking up, and I see Ray's Lost Ark. Now, all I knew about Ray's Lost Ark was a 15-second commercial of a boulder going down a hill. Yeah. That's all I knew about it. I had heard nothing about it. This is well before the internet or anything like that, and before me even being a film fan that I wanted to know more. That's all I knew. So I said I could see my father. He wanted us out of his car so bad. <laughs> I could see it in his face. I, so I said to my friends, well, why don't we just go see Raiders of the Lost Ark? And my brother and a friend, no, we want to see dragons. And my brother, my father's like, uh, guys, you're seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
So we get out of the car. We're going in. We're sort of depressed because we want to see Dragon Slayer. Then we sit down and that opening sequence. Yes. I don't think any of us blinked. We were so into it. I was I was never more enraptured and more engaged and just more amazed by anything than that opening sequence of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And when that plane flew off into the distance at the end of that opening sequence, I was hooked on movies. Yeah. That was it's what magic. did it was that magic. opening scene. That's what made me the movie fan I am today. So 1982 Poltergeist comes around. Steven Spielberg's name is attached to it because now after Raiders, I wanted to know who made it. I wanted to know how he made it. And I started to know, read about Spielberg. Yeah. That led me to, I actually joined the American Film Institute when I was in high school. And I, I got a, I, I was never, I was so amazed because I got a membership card that had Charlton Heston's signature on it, not hand, uh, not his actual signature, yeah. it's a stamp, obviously. But I was, I was like, wow, I'm a member. And I put that in my wallet, right along with my library card, was in my <laughs> AFI membership. And I got the magazines and I read them cover yeah. to cover and, and just bought movie books galore and read them cover to cover and went to see all the movies in them. But I only could, you know, there was no, this is before VHS. Yeah. This is before cable for me. This is like the very, very early days of film fandom for me. Poltergeist comes out. Spielberg's name is attached to it. I go, we got to see this movie, guys. And everyone agrees. Yes, we got to go see this movie. We did not know it was a horror movie. <laughs> we get to this. We didn't know what a poltergeist was. We had no yeah. clue of any of this. We looked none of this up. I mean, in 1982, I, was, I would have been 12. And I was the oldest of our group. Yeah. So we went to the theater and poltergeist Scared the living hell out of all of us. Scared us to death. Scared us to death. So when they, uh, I have that connection of a beautiful summer day going to the theater and being scared to death and going out into the sunlight, still being scared to death of what we just saw, but loving it. And it was, and when we got a VCR, Poltergeist was the first movie I recorded off of cable. And I remember holding the tape saying, I now own Poltergeist. I can watch this movie anytime I want. And that was such a magic feeling. So when they remade Poltergeist, it hurt me. Yeah, it's it. I, I, and I think you, it's fair to say there's no, they didn't need to do it. No, they didn't need to do it because they took the element out of it that made it. Because in the original Poltergeist, if you think about it, it's the female characters that are the strongest in Absolutely. that movie. Now, Craig T. Nelson is fine as the father. There's nothing wrong with him. But it's the bond between the mother and Carol Ann. It's the researcher who stays, you know, um, yeah. uh, Beatrice Strait, who yeah, plays yeah, her. Yeah. And it's the little, the, like the, the um, Zelda. Zelda coming in and doing all her stuff. It's the women in that movie that are the strongest. And in the new Poltergeist, I haven't seen it, but I heard that they changed the, one of the researchers. Yeah. It's, the, it's a man. So they didn't even know what made the original Poltergeist as strong as it was. Yeah, and it's, you know, I think it's fair to say when you look at like the Hills of Eyes, for example, mm-hmm. it's not perfect. No, there's no. quite a few. But when they remade it, they took what made that film really, really strong, mm-hmm. and then they amped it. They they ironed out the wrinkles. Yes, yes, they, and they I agree. did that really, really, really well. And I mm-hmm. think you know the, the the remake for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's it is soulless, but at the same time, it's never boring. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you take something like Poltergeist, and you completely miss the mark, 
Yeah. You not only do you take the soul out of it, you you, you take the rest of the guts out of it as well with it. And what exactly. you've got then is just is is something that just doesn't work. It right. doesn't work. And I think the sort of what made Poltergeist work is like you said, it's, it's believe it's taking that element that Spielberg is a master at that creating that family dynamic, but then taking mm-hmm. that sort of the, the black heart of Toby Hooper and putting them together. Yes, absolutely. It was that it was that joining of the two of them is what made that movie what it was because Spielberg brought the, the warmth and he brought the connection to the characters and it was Hooper who brought the horror absolutely. and what they were going through. And I mean, it, you know, and I think, when, you know, when you, you, you look at Toby Hooper, you look at all of it, even some of his lesser stuff. There's always a moment in some of his lesser stuff that's still mm-hmm. impressive. Yep. That's, that, that's st- that he's still got it. You know, you look at the stuff that he did for Masters of Horror. It, they're great episodes. They're great, mm-hmm. great episodes in that TV series. Dance uh, of the Dead. I think yeah. that's the one I saw. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've seen the damn thing, unfortunately, but I have seen Dance of the Dead. Yeah, I agree. And you're right. And even I saw, I remember um, I saw Mortuary, which I didn't like. I'll be honest. I didn't like Mortuary. I was like, oh, geez. But I didn't, I don't remember hating Mortuary, you know? No. It, and I never, I never saw his, re- it's interesting that he made the remake of Toolbox Murders. Yes. Because the original Toolbox Murders was made because of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the producer's like, wow, this movie is so big. I got to try to capture that sort of magic in a bottle. And that's why the original Toolbox Murders was made. Yeah. It's because of him. So the fact he did the remake, I thought was interesting. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard good things about it. No, no. it's I, I haven't seen it, but uh, lots of people I've spoken to have said it's one to miss. Yeah. It is yeah, one uh, to miss. It's one to miss. And it's, it's unfortunate, but... I, I would say Toby Hooper does deserve a place alongside all of the ones, like like I said, the John Carpenters, the Wes Cravens, the um, uh, uh, George Romero's, yeah. all of these great horror directors. He deserves a place alongside them because his, his filmography, it's almost like the myth that John Carpenter after... Um, uh, what was it? Was it they live? I'm trying to remember what what the, everyone says. Like the late '80s were his last. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose like sort of the, it's the idea. I you know I think um, Prince of Darkness um, is a superb film. I don't think they, you know, round about Prince they of, live Prince of Darkness. I think people sort of say that he sort of dips off and dips off a little bit. But you know what? He did do In the Mouth of Madness, which is pretty strong. Yes, and I liked Vampires too. I got to say, maybe some people didn't like Vampires. I really. It's liked a lot vampires. of fun. It's a it's a lot fun. Of fun. A fun movie. Ghost of Mars was a was was a mistake. I'm not a fan <laughs> of Ghost of Mars, but I'm a. I really like vampires. I like In the Mouth of Madness, and yeah. you know, uh, so John Carpenter did do some good stuff after the eighth. I mean, when you look at that that time between you know between Assault on Precinct Thirteen and up to Prince of Darkness, yeah, and. Uh, you're talking about masterpieces. Like almost everything he put out, I thought was was brilliant. I mean, even Starman, I really liked. I, I'm, I, you know, even a different sort of movie. Yeah, I like Starman, but yeah, my God, you got you got you got Halloween, you got the Fog, you got the thing, and the Fog is the one movie I find myself of all of his films returning to the most. Absolutely, absolutely, and I mean his uh, the, the the soundtrack. 
to the fall yes. is just amazing. And that scene, that scene with the board and the tape playing while yeah. while uh, Adrian Barbeau is is up there, and it's like, what's you know, what's it with this board? And you hear these voices, and see, that's the thing that uh, that Carpenter does is you got that voice on the tape, and you're like, wow, where'd that come from? It's the same thing in Prince of Darkness when they're having that recurring dream. Yes, that's not really a dream; it's a message from the future. Yeah, and you get little bits of it, a little bit more each time, but you're like, what's going on? Yeah. What's happening here? Yeah. I really think Prince of Darkness should be mentioned in the same breath as Halloween and the thing when you're talking about John Carpenter. The more I see Prince of Darkness, the more I think this is really because he is taking elements of science, elements of religion, things that are not accessible to an audience yeah, completely. and putting them together and giving us a film that delivers on every level. Yes. And it's got Alice Cooper. And it's got Alice Cooper, right? <laughs> it's got Alice Cooper as a, as a crazy homeless person. Yeah. How can you go wrong with that? You know, and I, you know. And I think you you look at you you look at all these great you you look at the great directors, um, and I mean people would probably argue that Spielberg is probably the one who has been the most consistent because he yeah. you know even Coppola has dropped off. Yes. Um, yes. You know, Romero certainly dropped off. Um, you know, Scorsese sort of. I think his work is consistent, but again, sort of, you know, you know, when you think he had a job to get the Irishman made, right? You know, yeah. And again, I Silence is a great film, but oh, I haven't seen Silence. I oh. haven't seen Silence. So, but see, Scorsese does that because then you watch Condon, and that's one I can't return to that much yeah. either because it's a little bit dry at times. And yeah. you know, I mean, when 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 Scorsese's in his wheelhouse, there's nobody better. Oh no, I mean, no. Nobody. I mean, even something like Casino, which people are like, oh, he was just sort of repeating himself. I don't care if he's repeating himself. It's a damn good movie. Oh, it's and, it's and, one hell of a trick, isn't it? You and know. absolutely, yeah. So, uh, but you're right. You know, and with, with you got Scorsese, who sort of does drop off. Spielberg has maintained a certain level. Again, not all of the movies are great. People, you know, it's funny. People really dump on 1941. I love 1941. It's crazy. I laugh so hard. Film. I laughed so hard at 1941 when I first saw it, and I laugh even more. I mean, you got Slim Pickens. Yeah. With, with, oh, you ain't going to get shit out of yeah. me. Like, <laughs> sitting on the toilet. Yeah. Um, John Belushi in that movie is, is hilarious. Warren Oates. Is, yeah. I, there's just so much to love about 1941. I don't understand the hate for it. I really don't. I mean, I know it lost money. I know it. And, uh, but anyway, I, I, we got to get back on topic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking this way off topic here. But like, you know, um, I, I think we, when we look at Toby, Toby Hooper, yep. we look at, you, you look at his canon of work. I mean, this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the sort of, is the peak. Of oh it, yeah. yeah. And you know, this is what is it? What came first? Was it this or Eaten Alive? Oh, this came first. This, so this, if you think, uh, Eaten Alive was after this, yeah. Right out the park, he has created something that culturally changed horror. Yeah. And you know, like you know, even you know, people forget that that how important just that opening monologue is. That idea that he took that sort of that that I well maybe if I tell you that it's true. People were yes, think, and then the people went and you know years later the Blair Witch did it. The and Blair so, Witch did it. That's right. And the Blair Witch actually, uh, yes, you're right. The Blair Witch it didn't. It had its own sort of form with the found footage. Yeah, which which Texas Chainsaw was not, but it is that whole thing of based on a true story. Yeah, I even had somebody on Facebook. You know, I posted last night that I was rewatching this, and then somebody posted underneath. I'm trying to. I can't remember who it was. Said first time I saw this, I thought it was real. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and the, and that. I think more than anything, you're right. That opening monologue sets it up that 
what we're going to see is a real story. That makes it even more horrific and as you, to what's happening. You think, my God, this actually happened to some people. Yeah, and I mean, like when you, and like with all great films, you go back and you see something different. And we've said about this, you know, already. But you can, when you look at this film and you look at the different layers in it, you sort of, you know, you can view this film as a straight up horror. Straight mm-hmm. up horror. You can look at this film as a piece of, you know, a piece of performance art. You know, this idea, this absurdist comedy. And right. then you can even look at you, you can look at this film, and Toby Hooper talked about this himself, is that this film is a direct reaction to what was happening in the world at that time. And you got yeah. the idea that he talks about the idea that he had the the opening monologue to be a lie was his reaction to Watergate and to the lies that were told about Vietnam and, you know, Nixon and all of these other things. And this, you know, you think, my God, actually what we've got here is a film that is, you know, that is working on a on a socio-political level, on, yep. a, on an outright, you know, balls-to-the-wall horror film, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an absurdist comedy, an arthouse flick, and yet, essentially, we've got a cross-dresser with a chainsaw. Right. <laughs> which is just, it's, which is insane. It's it is. absolutely I, insane. It, it is. It, it did, and like, at, again, that's what I love about this movie is that there's just no way. If you start at point A and say, okay, draw me a line to where you <laughs> think we'll get to point Z, yeah. you can't do it because you, you, would, you would give up at probably point E. Yes. You know, you'd be like, okay, I give up. I don't know. I have no idea where we're going with this. Now, one of the things that we do on the show here is, and I, I, I fear it's a fairly redundant question, how would you score this one out of 10? Oh, uh, yeah. Obviously, this is a 10 out of 10. I reserve my 10s for movies that are on like my top film list of all yeah. time. Yeah, I don't give it. Like, even if I just see a movie for the first time and I absolutely love it, I think it's the greatest thing, I'll only go 9.5 because 10s for me are the movies that have made my all-time list. Yeah. This is my second favorite movie of all time, and it is my all-time favorite horror film, so it is a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Absolutely, no doubt. I own it. I actually own three Blu-rays of this. <laughs> I have the very first Blu-ray I ever bought. It's because it's funny. The very first DVD I ever bought was um, I bought two at the same time: The Matrix and 1999's The Mummy. No, those were the first DVDs I bought. The very yeah. first Blu-ray I ever bought was Dark Skies: Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow. They had it at Walmart, and I'm like, you know what? I just got a Blu-ray player, and I gotta have this on Blu-ray. So I brought that one home. That was the first Blu-ray I ever bought. And I've also picked up the 40th anniversary one, and I've got it on Steelbook. So I've got nice. like three versions of this on Blu-ray. The Steelbook looks beautiful, mind you. Oh, it is. It's great. I mean, it, it does look beautiful. Now, the only special feature on that are four commentary tracks, but that alone makes it worthwhile. Actually, and yeah. I yeah. don't know that they're new commentary tracks, but I just like, you know what? I said, you know what? Greg Amortis owns every version of Halloween ever made. <laughs> I can at least have all of the Blu-rays for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What the hell? So, I, mean, to be, I think it's fair to say you have a fair collection. Uh, yeah, I, I have a collection that is, uh, my wife would say, would, you know, think fair is probably a nice way of putting it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little out of control. I don't, I have so many, I could never watch them all in a lifetime. I'll never watch all of the DVDs I own. I, I have to, I have to grasp that now yes. everyone i bought was with the intention to watch almost immediately 
Yeah. And I yeah. just never, ever got around to watching any of them almost immediately. And yeah. I know that I own some now that I will never see. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm. it's really funny because, my, to be fair, my wife is amazing. And she, just, you know, she, oh, you, more DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's to the point now where, where my wife just, she, because I'm, 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 it's the point where I'm like, Oh, I gotta get. I know they're going to deliver this any moment here. I gotta make sure I'm the one who gets it on the porch. She's always the one who walks in with the package and just throws it on the couch. She yeah. doesn't even talk anymore. She just boom throws it on the couch. Doesn't even tell me it's here anymore. <laughs> I mean, there was one time I didn't know for two days I got some because it had gotten buried under something on the couch. Um, but I mean, and she's I mean, she's you know a great sport with it too. I mean, she's you know when I was redoing the collection and finding new things for it, and I. I I don't know if I told the story on the on uh, HMP. I think I did once where I was like laying out my collection again. And and, you know, my, my wife was kind of like, OK, well, that's good. Lay it out. And, we, you know, wherever you need, we'll get some space for you. We'll get it going. Well, I had I had um, sort of piled them up in the front room because I had to during the DVD infatuation. I would yeah. take a DVD out and I'd watch it. Well, I wouldn't put it right away. Yeah. And I, I had a pile of this and then I had another pile of ones I watched and another pile of ones I watched. My DVD profiler was all laid out with where these things are in my office upstairs <laughs> and all that. Well, by the time DVD infatuation was done and I got to the 2,500 movies and I went back and looked, about 75% of my collection was not where it should have been. Yeah. And it wasn't even that I'd watched all of them, but I had moved some of them. And then I moved other things. Yeah. And, I, and I said, yeah. oh, my God. So I said, well, the first thing I've got to do is is just get all of these things to a point where I know where they are. So I piled them all up in the front room. Earlier, I had also taken everything out of the front closet, um, including these baskets that my wife had, because I figured, OK, the front closet is where I'll put everything. Well, she was coming home <laughs> and I'm like, OK, um, this is bad because the front room has DVDs piled all over the place. <laughs> and I had also, I put them in this bin and I, 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 I hid them in the basement. I said, okay, I'll hide them in the basement. I'll hide them in the, the corner of the basement <laughs> down here. So, so now. And at the same time, there was this, um, uh, uh, chest like this, um, this, uh, hope chest. And I put the baskets from the closet in there and that was down in the basement too. So <laughs> she, 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 it, it kind of went from uh, because all of that was discovered at the same time. Oh my god! <laughs> she was like, she's looking for things. What's this? Oh, it's DVDs and another thing in DVDs. I thought these should have been upstairs. And wait a second, are these my baskets from the closet? And she comes up and she finds more DVDs in the closet. It went from okay, take your time to I'm going to put all of these in the middle of the backyard, and I'm going to put a I'm going to put. <laughs> Lighter fluid on them, and I'm going to torch every damn one of these things. You've got about a day, <laughs> you know. To, so uh, I got it done, fortunately, and none of them yeah. ended up being being torched. But that was sort of the position I had put her in, and she was being real understanding at first. But my collection had overwhelmed me, and and that was when I was like, uh, I, I got to sort of pull back. And of course, I haven't pulled back. Anytime <laughs> I hear a movie mentioned on a podcast, oh, I got to see that. Is it on DVD? Oh, it is. Oh, here's a used copy I can get, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. I, I'm just hooked all over again. So I'm still buying movies that I don't know when I'm going to watch them. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm the same. I've got next to, I've got like a little, I've got a box that I keep my watch, the to watch list. And uh, I yeah. realized that the box has slowly got bigger. And that's, and that's <laughs> what it, I mean, my, if I were to pull up my DVD profiler now, the most recent title that I put in now, some of these are 
you know, the, some of them are, are multiple DVD sets, like the TV seasons yeah, and yeah, what have yeah, six yeah, DVDs. Yeah. So that's yeah. part of the number. But the last one I entered was actually 12,173. <laughs> that's, that's insane. <laughs> it is insane. It is utterly, utterly insane. Like, I don't even have them in cases anymore. I, take, I get rid of all the cases and I have yeah. them in these binders now with the artwork still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did that so if I ever wanted to rebuild the DVDs, I could do it. If I had a blank DVD case, I could take out yeah. the artwork, put it in, and put the DVD back in it and I have it again, which I'll never be able to do because I'll never find that many blank cases again. Yeah. But yeah, that's what my, my collection is now. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's out of control. Um, <laughs> but my wife just yelled and he's still buying them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm still buying them. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I know I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> that's so staying in. That is yeah. so staying in. Have okay. You, if you're like me, do you have one particular DVD that, or Blu-ray that you keep buying only because you've got a complete blank spot from the point of view that I, you bought it. I ended up doing that. It's it's interesting. I did do that. Um, a couple store. One I did that with um, Gentleman's Agreement, the the movie from the nineteen forties. Yeah. I said, oh, I gotta get this movie, and I, look, it's and it's one of the ones that's like the this Fox Spotlight collection, and I have a special shelf for them. Oh, yeah. let me put it. And I look. Oh, Gentleman's Agreement is already on this shelf. And I bought the movie and I, yes, I bought it again. And I've done that with, I've done that more times than I can. I, I, there's a movie called the dead room. And when yeah. I reviewed it on the blog, I said, um, about the dead room that it's one of those movies that while you're watching it, it's okay. But six months later, you're going to look and completely forgot that you watched it. You're going to have forgotten that you saw this movie and, and it isn't, you know, you'll watch a couple minutes and realize, Oh yeah, I saw this already. It's sort of forgettable. It was so forgettable that I ended up buying it again. Yeah. <laughs> I got the same for the Beyond. The oh, Arrow, the Be- really? The Fulci's. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big oh. Fulci fan. Oh yeah, but me too. the Arrow, because I've got a, I've got a shelf just for my Arrow, uh, some mm-hmm. Blu-rays, and I just right. for whatever reason I've got a like, I've got, a, I, I've got to the point where I've had to take a picture <laughs> of my of, of the shelf that I have to go back and look at because it's like. Have I got the Beyond? I don't think I've got the Beyond. I'm sure I've got the Beyond. No, and I have to take, and I've bought it twice and I've taken it back wow. twice. They must think I have some kind of mental illness. <laughs> well, what I've done now is I've actually put my DVD profiler on my phone yeah. so that I can search and say, do I have this movie before <laughs> I buy it? Because I've done that so many times. One time, and, and someone said, I don't know what it was. We were talking about like Spice World. I said, I will never own Spice World. I will never own that movie. I will, ne- that is just, I will never buy that movie. And then when I was doing all of my cataloging, I go, oh, I have Spice World. Oh, and look, I also have Super Mario Brothers. Oh. I, I'm like, and I'm like, what the hell am I buying here? No. I'm like, is, it, is it this out of control? I don't even realize I'm buying pure shit. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Now, now people talk about sort of how difficult the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is to sort of get through. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, in terms of double bill, Spice World and Super Mario Brothers. I think that that is a tougher. Oh, I I would. I, you know what? And I still have not even watched them because <laughs> I've learned so much. I don't like. I don't know that I ever could. I'm thinking, why do I own these two movies? But it's funny because you know when uh, there is something. I, I don't know who said it, but there, someone said there's something sort of cathartic about watching a bad movie that you know is bad. Yes. And I, uh, you think about that, and I think you know it's true because my favorite sci-fi movie is Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it is a masterpiece of science fiction. 
But then I realized I have actually seen Plan 9 from Outer Space twice as much <laughs> as I've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, absolutely. And Dave, on that note, thank you yes. so much for your time. Absolutely. Um, it's been amazing. And you've got an open invitation to just invite yourself on at any point. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. I had a great time. Thank and you um, so much. yeah, I, it's it's great to go off topic and know that Josh isn't going to cut it out and put it <laughs> at the end of the show. No, thank you so much, Dave. I thank genuinely, you. You take care now, my friend. Thank you. You too. Okay, I would like to say a huge thank you to Dave for being on. Honestly, it's been an absolute thrill to record with him and talking about one of his all-time favorite movies as well. Right, ladies and gentlemen. Up next, we have got. What the Wookiee watched. And first, we have The Most Dangerous Game from 1932. Let's check out the trailer. Doesn't Brank Island mean anything to you? There's something wrong. I'm not trying to break in, but I've been in a wreck. Welcome to my poor fortress. This is Mr. Robert Rainsford, who hunts big game so adventurously. Glad to meet you. We barbarians know that it is after the chase and then only... That man, Revel. That's the savage's idea everywhere. One night as I lay in my tent, a terrible thought crept like a snake into my brain. Hunting was beginning to bore me. What I needed was not a new weapon, but a new animal. You found one? Yes. You take half-drowned men from ships and drive them out to be hunted. And if one eludes me only till sunrise, he wins the game. You murdering rat. I'm a hunter, not an assassin. You killed him. Precisely, yes. We can keep ahead of him that long. Coming down. One passion builds upon another. Back here. To Quick. date, I have not lost. Here on my island, I hunt the most dangerous game. Okay, that was the trailer for The Most Dangerous Game from 1932. The Most Dangerous Game was directed by Irvin Peichel. Uh, it was written by James Ashmore Creelman. It was also based on a short story by Richard Connell. And uh, it stars Joel McCree, the legendary Fay Ray. Whatever happened to Fay Ray? That delicate, satin dress. I don't know, sorry. I don't know what happened then. I started channeling the Rocky Horror Show, I think. Uh, Leslie Banks, Robert Armstrong, Noble Johnson, Steve Clemente, William B. Davidson, and Oscar Dutch Hendren. Um, this is the classic story of an insane hunter who arranges for a ship to be wrecked on his island so that he can hunt the survivors. But little does he know, he bit off more than he could chew. And then the hunter soon becomes the hunted. Do you know what? This film is an hour and three minutes long. It's superb. I absolutely love this. And people are going, but it's black and white. Forget it's black and white. It's made in 1932. Forget it's made in 1932. This is an absolutely superb film. It was made pre-code. There's an amazing scene. Um where Zaroff, the um, the <laughs> the sort of uh, the guy who rules the island, who's going to hunt the survivors of the shipwreck, takes one of them into the, his. Uh, they discover the um, sorry, 
two of the characters, sorry, discover his um, his trophy room, which is just human heads on the wall. It's absolutely superb. It's really, really, really good. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this. And in all honesty, the fact it's got Fay Ray, who has got an awesome set of lungs on her, she screams like nobody else. And when we're talking about Scream Queens, she is the original Scream Queen. Um, you can find this on YouTube, so you don't have to pay for it. It's an hour. It's an hour. That's all it is. Honestly, go back and watch it. It is superb. Superb? It is superb. It is absolutely superb. Sorry, all a bit slap happy now. Too much caffeine. I would give this a 9 out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Honestly, it is one of those... I, it's something that I should have gone back and watched a long time ago. I am so glad I did. Okay. Up next, we have got Extinction from 2018. Let's check out the trailer. Every day, we go about our routines. Work, home, family. Work, home, family. Because they're going to say it's in my head. It is just in your head. Please wake up. I think these dreams are the future. What if something bad is coming? You see that? You kidding? Of course I can. What is that? an invasion if we stay here we die what's happening out there has been headed our way for a very long time i know what's gonna happen i need you to trust me you'll be safe they're coming in your nightmares Did you see them kill us? Now, that was the trailer for Netflix, Extinction, from 2018. Extinction was directed by Ben Young. It was written by Spencer Cohen and Brad Kane, uh, based on a story by Spencer Cohen. Uh, it stars Michael Pena, uh, Lizzie Kaplan, Amelia Crouch, Eric Tremblay, uh, Lex Shrapnel. I think it is, yeah, Shrapnel. Emma Booth, Lily Aspel, uh, Mike Coulter, of course, the one, the only... 
Luke Cage. <laughs> he's very good in this and he's much more understated, which is, you know, it does show that he is far more than just Luke Cage. He's a great actor. Um, it also star, uh, stars... Oh, God. I'm struggling now, guys. I apologise. I'm just butchering names here. Uh, Israel Broussard. This uh, is a story about a father that has a recurring dream about losing his family and very, very soon his uh, nightmare becomes a reality. This has got a fantastic twist, so I'm not going to give too many spoilers on this. Um, i got to be honest, I first 20 minutes I found pretty hard going on this. Um, I sort of found some of the performances a little stale and a little flat, and I was thinking, oh, what's going on here? This is, you know, this, this is a bit odd. However, it does pick up very, very quickly, and then everything does fit into place. Michael Pena is absolutely superb in this, as well as Lizzie E. Kaplan. Um, the action is very, very good. The effects are solid. Um, I do think the final effect at the end of the film does let let it down a little bit. Um, it's got very good performances across the board. The action is good. The direction is solid. Um, the writing is really good. Um, and it looks great for the most part. Like I said, with the exception of the final sort of uh, shot, the FX shot, which I think mm, you can kind of see where maybe the money had run out a little bit there. This is really, really good. Um, and it's available on Netflix. Uh, it's definitely one worth checking out. I would probably give this a 7.5 out of 10. Um, and it's definitely one to sort of uh, while away the hours. Or maybe an hour and 30. I think it's an hour and 30. So there we go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our time together draws to an end. And the way that I've been butchering names and everything else, um, <laughs> you're probably thinking, about time. Go have a rest, who? Um, so, once again, I want to say a massive thank you for Dave for being on. I want to say a huge thank you to you guys uh, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Keep washing your hands. Keep the social distancing going on. Look, by the time this is released, we'll be coming up to bank holiday here in the UK. And I know the weather's going to be great, but please, please stay indoors and keep the social distancing going. It is so important just, you know, to make sure that we are safe and everybody else is safe, your friends, your family, your loved ones, okay, through this difficult time. So, in the immortal words of Count Dracula, good night out there, whatever you are. Thank you.